We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I am a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and honored to be so. I am the president of Fire Consulting International, which has uh, fire analysis as part of it. And I am the manager of CFIS, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services, which is about 200 investigators all over the country. And this is Donna Ingram, past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators. Over 30 years in this business, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. Yes, Donna, thank you for being here today, because I'm blessed by a whole bunch of things, and one of them is, and I don't know if we've ever told anybody this, but you, Donna Ingram, and Sandy Archer, who runs Fire Analysis, and you are our operations manager at Fire Consulting International, are my daughters, and, right. I'm on, and I'm honored to to have such wonderful and intelligent and uh, beautiful daughters. I think that has something to do with your mother. <laughs> and that's not something we usually go public with, but now that we have. <laughs> no, the reason I did this is I'm I'm honored to. And let me tell you why, and I, I want to bring this up. Uh, last week, we were in Frisco, Texas at the International Association of Arson Investigators training uh, that they put on annually and we have a banquet and I want you to share this because you have it there with you. Uh, Mike was at the banquet much to his surprise and and to mine uh, unknowingly not a surprise that this happened but surprised that it was going to happen. Receive something. What is it that you received? A really good meal. It was great. It had steak and it had lobster. (laughs) And uh, it was the best meal I think we've had ever. At, oh, you weren't talking about that, were you? No, I wasn't talking about that. That, that was a surprise, though. That was. Okay, but <laughs> no, I was I was honored, in, in fact, uh, uh, to tears almost, uh, to receive the George H. Parker Distinguished Service Award, um, which is a, a very high honor in the International Association of Arson Investigators. And it says... Um, uh, George H. Parker Distinguished Service Award presented to Michael Slatman in pre- an appreciation of his unselfish efforts and meritorious contributions to the IAAI, which have materially aided in the furtherance of the objectives and purposes of the association in the suppression of arson. And it was signed by Scott Bennett, the president, then president, who is now past president, uh, May 22nd, uh, 2018. And it was a very high honor, and I thank everybody. Uh, I don't know who nominated me for that. I do appreciate it, um, and uh, thank you for, for for the awards committee, which I'm on the awards committee, and they kept it secret, you know. And, and uh, having you, in fact, have been a member for almost 40 years, correct? Yeah, and I, yeah, I would. I was actually, I think, I joined in 1979, so I come up on my 40th. Uh, soon, 
And uh, oh, and by the way, not only did they spell my name right, Donna. Yeah, I know you have. Did, did you saw it? I know you saw it. But I'm glad that they said distinguished service award and not extinguished service. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that, a man of my my uh, maturity. You know. That must be the typo they told me they had. Yeah, yeah, that must be it. Yeah, I think that is it. Well, okay. So guess what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about subrogation. And spoliation, and this is all for fire investigators, and it's just Donna and I t- today because we wanted to talk to you about it from, from investigator to investigator. Oh, by the way, when I was at the ITC, International Trading Conference, a guy from Australia came up and said, I love listening to your show. So we do have a listener. Donna. In Australia. In Australia, but, yeah, but, but we do have some. That's awesome. I think isn't that great? I mean, it was very nice of him to say that. Anyway, so let's talk about subrogation. Now, every fire investigator in this country is familiar with subrogation, but usually, particularly public service people, they don't—they—they're uh, not as familiar as as they could be. And subrogation is the substitution of one person or group by another in respect of a debt or insurance claim, accompanied by the transfer of any associated rights and duties. That is what the definition of subrogation is. And what that means is, let's say that there's a fire in a house and there's an insured and his insurance company comes along and they find out that a particular product uh, did this fire, caused this fire, malfunction or something, and this product liability uh, kicks in and subrogation kicks in. So they will pay the insured for his loss and they will subrogate our take over the rights and duties of, of, this, of the insured, um, and then sue the particular product. And as part of that, what's very, very important in accidental fires, or even undetermined fires where you believe that there is a product involved of some type, uh, to protect the scene. And if you, excuse me, and if you don't, uh, in fact, Donna's going to read uh, the you, you get involved in a thing called spoliation. So this is, comes from 921. We're going to be a lot of 921 stuff today, folks. And I'm going to give you the page numbers and everything so you can write this down. So, well, and let's uh, do the definition of spoliation out of the 2017 NFPA 921 guide for fire and explosion investigations, which every fire investigator uh, internationally should have a copy of by now. I know that we hand them out in Kansas to our members uh, every every time a new one comes out. But on page 18, under 3.3.178 is the word spoliation in the definition. This is the definition area of 921. Loss, destruction, or material alteration of an object or document that is evidence or potential evidence in a legal proceeding by one who has the responsibility for its preservation. And what that means to you as a fire investigator is, is that these objects or documents, as it says, anything that's potential evidence or is evidence, you are the one that has the rep- responsibility of, for its preservation during your scene exam. Right. So that means that you don't just automatically grab a backhoe and destroy the entire scene um, if, if possible. Uh, if, 
put out, if you if you have to put out the fire, we understand that, but try and preserve as much as the evidence as possible. And and let me tell you that it, they are not fooling around with the subrogation. There are lawsuits many times against uh, investigators that that uh, have created spoliation. And, the, and the, let me ex, let me explain. Now I'm a private investigator. Okay, so I get an in, in, uh, an assignment from an insurance company, and I go to the scene, and I find out that there is this product right there and it is it is there's three of them sitting on a on like a kitchen counter and one of those three things uh, has malfunctioned and caused this fire um, there's going to you're going to have to find out what these items are who their manufacturers are how old it is because there's different rules in different states about a thing called the law of repose so in some states it's 10 years some sometimes it isn't, uh, I mean, there isn't a, any law. And what that means is if it's in service for 10 years and then it has a fire or over 10 years, well, then there's no, no grounds to, to go after it. But then if, if, they're, uh, if it's like, let's say you buy a new um, microwave and within you know, the first couple of years it, it burns and, and it causes your house uh, to burn, well, then they're going to turn around and they're going to go after the microwave people. But we go there, and what we would do if this was on the shelf is we would find out what all these things were. We would not move them. We would tell the insured to leave the place alone. We would tape it all off that says, don't move this. We would put up placards, which I recommend that you all private investigation companies have placards that say this is potential evidence and do not move this uh, uh, under penalty of law, etc., and then sign it and put your name and telephone number on it. Uh, we have a regular printed one, but make sure that and secure that room or board it off or do whatever it is until all interested parties can be notified. Now, what that means is we'll report back to the insurance carrier. They'll have an attorney. The attorney will send out the attorney will send out um, uh, letters to the interested parties, and then we'll have a big joint examination at which time everybody gets to document everything, you utilizing the scientific method, and then probably move that evidence uh, to another place for a laboratory examination. Um, so 921, you just heard the definition, and the next, the next uh, entry is on page, that was on page 18. This is on page 86, 7.8.8, and it says, the identification, handling, storage, and transfer of evidence may be critical in providing all interested parties the opportunity to evaluate the evidence. Where possible, all interested parties should be notified of the loss and given the opportunity to to examine the evidence in place before you move it. If the collection of evidence is deemed necessary for further analysis, care should be taken to minimize destruction or alteration of the evidence during the collection and handling processes. Destruction or alteration of the evidence without consent, agreement, or the presence of other known interested parties could result in a claim of evidence spoliation. So, if you don't do it right, if you don't put interested uh, parties on notice, then they're going to say, hey, look, the scene was spoliated, and then that, and we'll go into later, there are sanctions for that. But let's let's talk about... uh, that so 
Um, Donna, you've got further ones on that too, don't you? Well, the, the, if you go a little bit just to the next page on page 87, mm-hmm. um, under 8.1.4, it, it's talking, the documentation and analysis of active fire protection systems often needs the technical assistance of engineers or technical specialists. Now, I'm going to read this whole paragraph and then explain. The movement, manipulation, energizing, and de-energizing of a system components may result in the destruction of critical data. The loss of this data may hinder the analysis and formulation of origin and cause hypotheses and might be considered spoliation of evidence. Even if the scope of the investigator's assignment does not include the analysis of the fire protection systems, the documentation and analysis of those systems may be important to other interested parties, so the preservation of those systems is critical. So basically what what we're hearing here is something that, you know, you're out there doing an origin and cause. More than likely, you're not going to have technical assistance of engineers or, or the specialists that need to examine this. This is also indicating uh, destruction of data. So we're talking about computer systems. We're talking about energizing and de-energizing those systems. And without the, the presence of the people that actually are going to analyze it, you may be opening a door to spoliation. Absolutely. In fact, I worked one outside of Boston one time where we, where I was part of the interested parties. We were there put on notice and we had to wait uh, until everybody was there. And then we uh, energized the, um, the fire protection alarm system to find out how many times it had went off and, uh, and, what, and what time it went off and all that. But it had, we could not do that until everybody was, was there. Now, if you go to 105.8.6, this is important, and this is brand new. This is in a, in a new 921, and it's called spoliation issues. Care should be taken to preserve all evidence and documents related to the fire protection systems, because understanding many of those these systems requires special expertise. Only those with the appropriate knowledge and equipment should handle these systems and related evidence to avoid potential spoliation. And then it says C 12.3.5. The loss or alteration of any item may have significant consequence on the investigation and any litigation that may ensue. So um, you, you have to be aware that there, there is this thing called spoliation and how you need to protect this. Um, this has happened, well, potentially look at this. If, if you took, if you're a fire investigator and you take this piece of evidence out of the scene and you drop it, you take it back to your, um, to your office and you take it apart, you take it back to your office, put it and lose it, um, or otherwise uh, uh, throw it away without any permission from anyone, what happens is you will be in violation, you will cause evidence foliation, and you open yourself up to at least four lawsuits. And those lawsuits are, one, the uh, company that hired you, your client. Number two, the actual insured and the house that you took it out of. Number three, the company that made that particular item, whatever it was, because they can't prove now if, if they did it or they didn't do it, so, so to clear their name. And four, anybody else that was either injured or damaged 
by this fire. So that means people that were burned, fire, uh, uh, the, the fire spread to the next building, all of those people. So you open yourself up to this. So you have to be really careful before you move anything and make sure that you have the proper people with the expertise looking at these things. Now, there are times that you do need to remove items or trans- transport items to prevent further, actually, a prevention the, right. of, of spoliation. So give a good example of one of your scenes, Mike, where you've ac- actually had to move something that you really would rather not have, but maybe there was weather or things like that. Well, there <laughs> Well, uh, this is actually kind of a forced removal of stuff. And what it was was the city wanted to tear down this building. And they, they, had, the, they had the demolition equipment there at the scene. Okay, so they're going to tear it down today. And, and Mike Slapman can't stop it. I can't get an injunction in time. I can't get the building officials to, uh, to uh, agree to hold it for another day or anything. And so what happened was with the, with the bulldozers outside the door, I had to document it as quickly as possible as, and, and measure it and everything else and do everything I could to preserve this particular item. And, uh, and then we had to move it. But we moved everything around it, too. I mean, we moved uh, the, the outlets. We knew the power supply cords, we, the, the counter, the, the, the uh, other, other associated things that were around it so that we could, we could show that we had done everything we, that we could to document it for other persons to have an ability to, to see what the origin and cause was. And I'm sure you took care to wrap those items and and take photographs, extensive photographs, in case anything moved or, or you know, I mean, a good example of vehicle fires when they go to tow the vehicle, you know, things are falling out of the vehicle, et cetera. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they need to be they need to be wrapped before they're gone. No, in this case, I just threw them in the back of my car. Just drove off. And, <laughs> no, that's not true. I yeah. No, of course we did, and we and we very meticulously labeled them, etc. And uh, and you have to do that. And nine twenty one gives you guidance on what what you should what your labels should even say. Um, and so I think it's it's very important. Um, and it says um, by the way on page. 150, it says at 12.3.2.2, in the event of destruction, disposal, or removal, uh, if destruction, disposal, or removal authorized or necessary, the investigator should engage in such acts only after the scene has been properly recorded and the record has been verified as to accuracy and completeness. Care should be taken to avoid spoliation. So there you are. And and you have one too, don't you, Donna? Well, here's something that you'll see many paragraphs in 921 and when we talk about spoliation refers to 12.3.5, which is a chapter, by the way, under legal considerations. So just as the definition in 12.3.5 and 12.3.5.1 
covers spoliation. It, it redefines exactly what we read in the, very, the definition on page 18, but it elaborates a little bit. It elaborates about responsibility, and it elaborates that uh, what we were just talking, spoliation of evidence may occur when the movement, change, or destruction of evidence or the alteration of the scene significantly, significantly impairs the opportunity of other interested parties to obtain the same evidentiary value from the evidence as did any prior investigator. So when we talk about that, in, in significantly is a key word there. That doesn't mean that you cannot observe something or, or look at something. It doesn't mean that nothing can be touched surrounding an mm-hmm. object. It means that you've altered it, uh, you've destroyed it, you've you know taken it apart. Good example: years ago, when I started in business, um, before nine twenty one, before all of this, was you know of course fire fire departments would go in and they would take old telephones. We used to have the landlines, and and if you ever had one that was hanging on the wall in a fire, the the actual the actual earpiece when it melted, would elongate all the way to the floor. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really interesting. And so then when they would have their open houses, they would take these items and take them to the fire department, and then the kids could see them. You know, everybody's fascinated with burned items, so forth. Well, if let's just say, you know, obviously telephones are not a, a big fire cause, but it was a toaster. Back then... The t- removing of that toaster or even, you know, opening it up so people could see the inside is actual spoliation should there have been any type of subrogation. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, uh, fire departments um, are not totally um, immune to uh, suits in many parts of the country. I mean, if you take this, I got a terrible story where there was a three fatality fire and the fire marshal said that it was a... Um, uh, an outlet um, and it's three fatality fire and so I go there and, and I'm representing it's a, a rental home I'm representing the homeowner um, and uh, a building owner and then I go to this I see it's gone he says that's what it is uh, on the phone I said well I want to see it he said I took it and I said okay so I went to the fire department and he says, oh, well, it's not here. I took it home and put it in a garage. I'm going to use it in the public service, um, you know, in, a, in a, a talk. And I said, well, I have to see this. You know, we have to verify that it was the cause of the fire. So he calls his wife on the phone, and she says, oh, I threw that nasty thing out in the trash. Well, it just so happens that God was smiling on him and me that day, and they hadn't picked the trash up yet. So I zip over to the to his house. We get the get it out. And by the way, you could have still plugged this thing into the wall. <laughs> it did not do the it did not do the fire. The fire was actually in a in a chair, uh, in a overstuffed chair due to uh, smoking, uh, and it was close to that wall. And so, it's very important that you guys know. And and under what Donna was just talking about, twelve point three point five point one responsibility. It is the responsibility of the investigator or anyone who handles or examines evidence to avoid spoliation of evidence. And the scope of that responsibility varies 
according to such factors as the investigation's jurisdiction, whether he or she is a public official or a private se- sector investigator, whether criminal conduct is indicated or apl- applicable laws and regulations. However, regardless of the scope and responsibility of the investigation, care should be taken to avoid destruction or material destruction of evidence that later may be considered spoli- spoliation. If artifacts will be altered, the investigator should use techniques contained in this guide to reserve the evidentiary value for those items for others who may later examine the artifacts. That's important stuff, folks. You have, and did you hear that? That means public, public service people too. Now it might be, you know, it might be, uh, you, won't, you won't have to go as deeply into it, but there are, and I'm going to read this before we ever take our break, uh, 12.3.5.3, remedies for spoliation. Criminal and civil courts have applied various remedies when there has been spoliation of evidence. Remedies employed by the courts may include discovery sanctions, monetary sanctions, application of evidentiary interferences, limitations under the rules of evidence, exclusion of expert, uh, expert testimony, dismissal of the claim or defense dependent, uh, independent of tort actions for the intentional or, or negligent destruction of evidence, and even prosecution under criminal statutes relating to the obstruction of justice. Investigators should conduct their investigations so as to minimize the loss or destruction of evidence and therefore minimize the allegations of spoliation. So what that means is you better look out. Don't this remember this when you're when you're conducting investigations and don't get don't get yourself in a ringer. Um, just uh, and and you you have access to attorneys, public service people even has uh, you can talk to your local uh, attorneys about it. Um, and of course, uh, private investigators have uh, access to many attorneys. And you want to add something to that, Donna? Because we're almost well. Now that you've scared them right before the break, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I'll on that a little bit. That basically what you just said is you can get sued and even go to jail if you did that on purpose. Uh, which I don't know of any cases that that's actually happened, um, but but you can absolutely suffer uh, anything from from having to pay out money to to prosecution. Uh, no. That means that this is serious stuff because it all has to do with legal proceedings, uh, civil and criminal. You're absolutely correct. So, okay, so we're going to go to a break now. Uh, chew on that for a minute, and then we're going to come back and tell you how to protect yourself. So when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire. it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. 
Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we we were talking before the break about uh, the consequences of not taking this serious. And Mike, I didn't know if you were done talking about uh, 12.3.5 in the different sections or if we were going to go ahead and move on under physical evidence to um, decision making and so forth. Well, I just wanted to talk uh, just one more thing about that. Um, we have to, under 12.3.5.4, it says notification of interested parties. Now, in, if you're in public service, you're not going to be doing this. But if you're in private investigator, sometimes the insurance companies want you to put um, places on notice or, or even manufacturers. Um, I discourage that. I think it should be done by the, uh, it should be done by the, um, attorney for the insurance carrier or the insurance carrier itself. You are really not, you're a representative of the insurance carrier, but you're not the insurance carrier. You're an employee in most, uh, I mean, a, a contract employee in many cases. But I'm just going to read you the just first little bit uh, of this. And it says, 12.3.5.4, notification of interested parties, claims of spoliation of evidence can be minimized when notice is given to all known interested parties that an investigation at the site of the incident is going to occur as to allow all known interested parties the opportunity to retain experts and intend and attend the investigation. And that also uh, includes laboratory examinations in the future. So if I were you, I, this is all under legal considerations. I would look at 12.3.5.4 um, and also 12.3 um, point, uh, let's see, 23.5.6.1 and 12.3.5.6.2. Yeah, so that way I don't have to read them. Go ahead, Donna, now you go ahead with yours. 
Yeah. So, yeah, so moving along, because we yes. want to, like we told you at the beginning of the show, we want to talk about where spoliation is referenced in 921. So we're going to move on under physical evidence to page 190 under 17.2.2. And what that is, is the decision on what physical evidence to collect at the incident scene for submission to a laboratory or other testing facility for examination and testing or for support of a fact or opinion rests with the fire investigator. This decision may be based on a variety of considerations such as the scope of the investigation, legal requirements, or prohibition. Additional evidence may also be collected by others, including other investigators, insurance company representatives, manufacturers, representatives, owners, and occupants. The investigators should be aware of standards and procedures relating to evidentiary issues and those issues related to spoliation of evidence. So basically what this is saying is that it is up to you as a fire investigator to make the decision Based on your experience and and a variety of considerations, the scope of your investigation. So for fire service, here's the scope. You are there to determine the cause of the fire, the origin and cause of the fire. Now, if there's a product malfunction that doesn't fall under fire department area, it's something you want to know for fire safety, but that is going to be something that the person who's going to legally be responsible monetarily. So insurance companies, and then there's where subrogation comes in. If it's a product malfunction, they're going to subrogate back and get that money back from from the manufacturer. So those are the things that you do need to be considering. Um, it, and it says that, that it'd be collected by others like manufacturers, owners. And there's another thing. That's That's something I wanted to bring up earlier. Keep in mind, and this is for all, public and private, at a fire scene, anything that you are looking at and examining actually belongs to the owner of that property, including things that are destroyed by the fire. Everything in that scene actually belongs to them. You need permission. Uh, that is, and we can get it, that's a whole other show when we talk about search warrants and and permission, but if you have permission and you need permission to remove things, you can't just be taking things and walking off with them. Go ahead, Mike. You probably have an example of that. I do. This is um, most private investigation firms, whether it's the big box stores or or the regional experts, uh, CFIs, IAAI CFIs, all have a a, a form, a a right-to-entry form, uh, and as part of that form is signed by the insured or a, a legal representative of, of them or, or the management company, whatever, to allow you on the scene. It also says and it, that you can remove certain items uh, for uh, testing. Um, this includes debris samples or other items. Now, you don't want to move it if it's too big to move or if, if you're going to put other interested parties on, on notice or there's no uh, um, emergency reason to move it. But if you have to move it, uh, you can, and uh, if you have this permission. Now, always remembering that it is the, the um, property of the homeowner. So let's say this. 
let's say that I am a building owner and I rent apartments. And so in this apartment building, there's a fire. And in the apartment are the items that belong to the, the, the tenant, right? But there's also items in there that belong to the home, the, uh, the building owner. Like, let's say some, uh, like, like, say, the range or the refrigerator is supplied, right? Well, if it's the range of refrigerator, then I, working for the building owner, could, could take those if I needed to for evidence. But I can't take the other person's property without their permission. But if he has insurance, he or she has insurance, then they're going to notify their carrier. And we do not want to do a fire scene examination unless you do it in coordination with the um, other interested party, which is the tenants. Like in my case, I would be the building owner and they would be the tenant. So they'd have an investigator too. So we would do a joint examination. If I went in there as the building owner and took somebody else's property and took it out of there, that would, first of all, not be, a, that, would, that would be exceedingly bad practice. If I lost it, it would be evidence foliation. Um, and you should notif- make sure you find out if there are other people involved, other insurance companies, so that you do a joint examination. I've been there where at a scene, they're second because a guy has come in there and, t- and totally did a total investigation, threw everything out the window and everything else, and then took items out of there. So it would be, it was definitely, he definitely altered the scene and, and in some cases spoliated it. So um, it can make a real difference and it can also uh, cause you lawsuits. Uh, uh, restoration companies are good for that. They'll come in and they'll say the insured told us we could do it, and they destroy the entire scene. And, uh, and, and there's no there's no way after everything is moved and gone that you're going to actually find out the exact origin cause of the fire. I want to add a side note to this too, and not take us too far out of the lane. Uh, but just because I have an opportunity with with our audience for them to understand how serious this is about ownership and liability and, and ethics in general. We, uh, as a company and myself, have many times contacted the insurance company will decide not to pursue something, you know, a, a product defect, mm-hmm. whatever it is. They just they make a decision financially they're not going to. We call the owner of the property, the, the, the person that, that had the fire, and we offer that property back to them. We ask mm-hmm. them if they want that back. And there's two reasons. One, because it's their property. <laughs> and the majority of the time, uh, mostly, uh, the answer is no. Why would I want that? You know, say it's a curling iron or it's a, a space heater. Why would I want it? It's, it's ruined. It doesn't work. It's inoperable. It's burnt. You know, whatever. Mm. However, do not think that you wouldn't be opening yourself up to liability yourself of being sued if you don't do that because just because the insurance company may decide not to pursue, maybe that person wants to pursue and mm-hmm. and take that evidence and pursue and try to get some money back for product defect, whatever it is, get their own experts. So those are things that people don't think about. 
is that there's there's other avenues. I mean, a private person can actually hire a lawyer and file a lawsuit too. <laughs> right, and so. that happens sometimes when in uh, let's say they the they have a certain amount of insurance coverage, but they're damaged in in excess of that. They don't have coverage beyond that. So they'll have a you'll have two interested parties, the insurance company to get their money back and the insured to get to to get the rest of his damages. So, I right, mean, and just and, because they've been paid a certain amount doesn't mean that that's all the loss that they've incurred. It just means that they hit their policy limit or whatever the settlement was. Exactly right, and so and so we we have to be very um, we have to be very conscientious in making sure that if we take something from the scene, let's say they take it for testing. Um, there's Here's another ASTM standard that not every fire investigator is familiar with, but there is ASTM standard E860. That's ASTM E860, standard practice for examining and preparing items that are or may become involved in criminal or civil litigation. And it says, so what that, that controls how how a protocol has to be written to examine these items. That's when they're taking them from, from the scene uh, and, and examining them at a laboratory. And then, well, you take, uh, say the laboratory, you, you take it as a fire investigator and you take it to your warehouse. And then later you take it to the, to the um, laboratory. Then these have to be very well documented and also make sure you don't lose anything or drop it or anything like that. Then E860 is ASTM E860 is in force here. Then you return it to your warehouse. Okay, you better have some kind of system where you can sign it in and out, chain of custody from the very beginning to the very end. And let's say that uh, in the end, that's been tested, that's inconclusive, uh, the insurance company wants to throw it away. Uh, you say, okay, and then our, our, the attorney for the insurance company says, go ahead and discard it. The, he asked the insurer, do you want it back? No. And okay, so then we dispose of it, right? Well, this really happened. This really happened. This is, this is a couple of years ago. I get a call. We wanna, we've dis- decided to change our mind. It's been two years in, from this fire, and we decided to change our mind, and we're going to now examine this piece of of evidence that you have in your your um, warehouse. Okay, well, let me look it up and, and uh, oh, here it is. Okay, well, guess what? Uh, mm, about six months after the, the fire ha- occurred, your attorney notified us in writing to dispose of that equipment. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And we supply them with the documentation that... Uh, it was thrown away. Okay. Guess what? That's not on the fire investigator. That's on the attorney that told us to throw it away, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so that kind of ruined any litigation that they were ever going to have, right? So, so it can, people can make mistakes. I just don't want to be the fire investigator because sometimes people point at the fire investigator and it wasn't them that made the decision. Uh, it's sort of like a, a fire investigator asks for an electrical engineer or mechanical engineer to come to the scene to help them verify a hypothesis or, or to eliminate a hypothesis. And, and the insurance carrier says, no, we don't want to do that. It costs money. Um, we don't want to do that now. Well, okay. And then six months later, 
the, the phone rings and how come you didn't get a fire investigator? I mean, a, a electrical engineer out there. Well, we talked it over with the, the uh, personnel and they said, no. Do you have that documented anywhere? Yeah, it's right in my report because I have, and you might think about this, fire investigators out there. I have a little sentences that I put in my fire investigation reports. It says the uh, engagement of an electrical engineer or mechanical engineer, structural engineer, whatever it is, was discussed, period. An engineer was not retained. Okay. What that means is we discussed it with the insurance company personnel. They said no and no, and that's why an engineer was not retained. So otherwise, um, otherwise somebody could say, well, the fire investigator didn't tell me. Okay. Well, let me put it like this, guys. If it's you or them, it's you. <laughs> so, right. So there, there's no doubt about that. So, well, and then when we talk about uh, evidence and spoliation, initially it, it, we are responsible as fire investigators. We are the ones making the decisions, and, and we're the ones telling other people whether they put them on notice or, or, you know, at the insurance company level. So it initially is our responsibility. This is where chain of custody, and chain of custody is simply documenting who has possession of something. Where is it? You know, when did they get it? And that can save you <laughs> in that instance. So, uh, and I've seen this many times where the, because we're doing a joint exam, uh, the other the other investigator picks up that evidence and you sign off on it. So now um, you're not. I mean, you're working how many fires a year? You're not going to remember every single fire, everything that happens. That's why we write reports. That's why we write detailed reports. Same with chain of custody. Um, you have an evidence room. It should have a sign. It should have a sign in, sign out sheet. And you should know at all times where that is. And if, when it's disposed of, someone signed it and said, like in what Mike was talking about earlier, the attorney authorized disposal of the evidence. Later they thought, oh, we want that, and it's gone. It wasn't the fire investigator. It was the attorney. So this is what's going to save your bacon, too, is having chain of custody. You should always, anytime you transfer evidence or or it's taken, I mean, many times engineers get evidence so they can take it back to their lab. Absolutely. And what's funny is I, I got a great example of my own personal example. Okay, so I took some evidence from a scene, and uh, and I'm out at another scene. This is like, I don't know, a couple months later. And I get a call from an attorney. says, this is a courtesy call. A courtesy call? What? Well, we sent an investigator from the, uh, I mean, an engineer and an investigator from the other side to look at this evidence, and it was an outlet, actually. There was four things, and one of them was an outlet. And on um, the receptacle, an electrical receptacle for those that know what a receptacle is. Anyway, the bottom line is, and, and the receptacle was gone. The other three items were there, but the, the receptacle was gone. Therefore, we might be going to subrogate against you for losing this evidence. I said, it's not gone. They said, yes, they couldn't find it. I said, okay. And so we hung up and I called my uh, warehouse guy and I said, you find this thing. 
He said, well, I looked for it already, and I said, you will find this. So he calls me back in about 20 minutes. He said, yeah, I found it. It was accidentally put on the wrong shelf. It was with the other thing. I said, okay. So I called back the attorney. I said, this is a courtesy call. You don't have to sue me. Uh, it's there. Uh, it was just on the wrong shelf, so you can send them back. Now, had that been gone, you can see that they were going to come after me. And and so, and, and it didn't make any difference that I'd worked for that insurance company for 20 years, okay? This is not about loyalty or, or giving a... a, a a heck about uh, about the investigation firm. This is about money. So um, money users does it gets strange bedfellows, but it also makes um, friends enemies sometimes, and it's a real shame too. And it doesn't matter how small or large the the uh, the fire scene is. Uh, look at Chapter Twenty Nine: Management of Complex Investigations. Um, and it'll tell you right here that, um, and here it is, notification should be given of all known interested parties. This is 29.3.1. Uh, in an expedition man, expeditious manner to allow them the opportunity to examine the scene as early as possible and minimize claims of spoliation. And then it talks about E860. Okay. ASTM E860. Initial notice should be provided by the entity in control of the scene to any known interested parties. So you can have a massive loss and still have to still have to notify interested parties. And then on 29.5, you want to do that one, Donna? Or have you got that one there? I don't have that one opened up. Sorry. Okay. Proper, proper, Proper investigation site management will limit the potential for safety-related incidents, facilitate investigative activities, address potential concerns about evidence spoliation, and assist in many other aspects of the investigation. The implementation of an effective incident management system prior to the start of the investigation process will benefit all interested parties. I wanted to tell you that I've worked $100 million losses, $84 million losses, uh, losses of life, uh, you know, 13 people, uh, six people, seven people. Um, the management of the investigation is important. You need someone that knows what they're doing. You don't want this, this multi-million dollar fire to be the first one of that type that the investigator has ever worked. And that's happened to me a couple times in a large city um, on the East Coast where the first time they ever worked a multi-million dollar loss, this investigator um, was his first type of fire. That was his first type of fire. You don't want that to happen. You want educated people, CFIs, IAAI CFIs, you want people with experience. If you're going to do large man, uh, manage large uh, multi-million dollar losses, you don't want to send, uh, in essence, rookies uh, to do this. Just because you're a firefighter for 25 years doesn't mean you're a fire investigator for 25 years. Do you want, do you want to add something to that, Donna? Right. Well, and I, one of the things that... It, I want to make sure, because I know we're running out of time here, and we didn't get to cover everything in here. Um, I want to refer them 
to the figure on page 217, 19.2, which is something that we attach to all our reports. It's the scientific method. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a diagram in there, um, and it, it goes through the steps of the scientific method. Example of applying the scientific method to cause determination. Um, so it talks about collecting data, analyzing data, and hypotheses and so forth. So this is, that is probably one of the most important pages <laughs> in 921. Yeah. It's in 4, too. It's in, it's in chapter 4 also. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, and there's a reason that it's duplicated in there. Absolutely. It's the seven steps of the scientific method, folks. If you don't know what they are, it's recognize the need, define the problem, collect data, analyze the data, develop hypotheses, inductive reasoning, test the hypotheses, deductive reasoning, and select the final hypotheses. Now, hypothesis. Um, Bottom line is uh, you have to use the scientific method, folks. And if you don't know what it is, you better learn real quick. not only 921 is being used to skewer you in, in, uh, in uh, depositions, but also the 16, the big 16 things in 1033 at 1.3.7, 1.3.6, I'm sorry. Um, the 16 things that you have to uh, be familiar with. No, it's 1.3.7 and then 1.3.8, so there you are. Haha. There you are. And, I'm not and I know we, and we intimidate a lot of people uh, in our classes and just in, in talks like this by, by basically spewing out these, these chapter numbers and so forth. Um, but that, that's, that's what's happening. This is what you need to know. These are the things that, and, and this is good. This is a good thing for you. It's a good thing for you to know. These are the things that, like we said earlier, are going to help you document proper documentation and keep you out of hot water, keep you from getting sued, even at public service level, for spoliation. That's why it's right. here. That's why it's in here. Absolutely. And, and here are the page numbers in 921. 18, 86, 87, 105, 150, 151, 152. 190, 195, 205, 217, 300, 317, 336, 338, and 352. That's all about spoliation. So, <laughs> I, so look, you, this is archived, so you can go back and get those numbers again. So, Donna, we'll come back next week, and we'll have a, a I think we're going to have Bob Renton on from uh, Henderson Engineers. No, so, great. take it. Okay, so take care. Thank you. And thank everybody for listening all these times. We're going off the air at 627 is our last show. God bless you guys and uh, drive defensively. And when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.